Jesus loves you. You believe that? More than you can possibly know. He delights in you. You are his treasure and his delight. This morning, the sermon text is Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And I've entitled it, The Spirit-Filled Church. God created the church, otherwise known as the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And he did that for a purpose. And on Pentecost, the seventh Sunday after the resurrection, after Easter, he empowered the church to carry out that purpose by filling it with the Holy Spirit. To illustrate that purpose, I would like to share with you the parable of the life-saving station. On a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was no more than a hut, and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea. With no thought for themselves, they went out day and night, tirelessly searching for the lost. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to be associated with the station and give their time, money, and effort to support the work. New boats were bought and new crews trained. The little life-saving station grew. Some of these new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those who were saved from the sea. They replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they used it as a sort of a club. Fewer members were interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in this club's decoration, and there was a memorial lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and some of them were foreigners. The beautiful new club was in chaos. Immediately, the property committee hired someone to rig up a shower house outside the club where victims of the shipwrecks could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities because they felt they were unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. A small number of members insisted upon life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. The small group's members were voted down and told that if they wanted to save lives, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. And they did. As the years went by, however, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old station. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself. 
And if you visit that seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the passengers drown. As disciples of Jesus, our primary task is to go out and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, we sometimes forget our purpose and look in different directions than where he would have us look. And we need to be very careful that we don't ever lose our passion for life-saving. It's so easy to do that. This country is full of churches like that. Jesus stated the church's primary purpose is the Great Commission. You heard it read this morning. It's to go and make disciples. Jesus wants Holy Cross to always be a life-saving station, to never lose sight of that goal. To fulfill its purpose, Jesus filled his church with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. We need the power of God living within us to enable us to do what he's called us to do. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Acts 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in our own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that uh, you have given us today to ponder and to think upon and to appropriate in our hearts. And we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit in this church to move and to encourage us and to see that we know what we should be doing, but so often we aren't able to do it. And so we thank you for the power of your spirit and the presence of your spirit who enables us, who enlivens us, who guides and directs us, who empowers us. In Christ's name, amen. Let's look at the first point on our outline, God's purpose for the church. 
So Jesus revealed his purpose for his disciple-making church in Acts 1.8, the chapter right before chapter 2, where it says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is a summary of the Great Commission, that we're to be witnesses. So the Great Commission, of course, we already heard, but I'm going to repeat it. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So God's purpose for the church is to go and make disciples, disciples of Christ, not personal disciples. And so the first step in making disciples is to go. We have to go. We have to get outside the church, outside of our homes, and go into the world, because that's where the lost are, and to be Jesus' witnesses. And we do that by sharing the gospel of Jesus in word and deed with whomever we meet. If the church not, is not going, and is not going into the world to witness, it becomes a social club. The primary purpose of the church isn't even being accomplished. The apostle uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, we are ambassadors. In other words, ones who bring a message on behalf of someone else. So we're ambassadors for Christ. This is what Christ is asking us to do. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And so... This is how the church becomes a life-saving station and not a social club. Holy Cross is a life-saving station. Many of you have come to Christ through the wonderful people who are here already. And the Lord wants this church to continue to go and to continue to witness and continue to be ambassadors for Christ. Jesus knew that the church could not fulfill the Great Commission in its own strength, as all 12 of the original disciples deserted him as he was being crucified. They denied him, they deserted him, and so it's very obvious they weren't able to do the very thing that he's asked them to do. And so this was before they'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. And so God, in his infinite wisdom, even before the foundation of the earth, in his covenant of grace, had already planned for his son to come. But also, not only that, but also to empower the church to accomplish the Great Commission through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Man left alone without the power of the Spirit is not able to fulfill the Great Commission. So this is a very important passage that we're looking at this morning. And we understand our own weakness, but also the power and the grace of God. Acts 1, verses 4 and 5 says, Jesus ordered the apostles not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that leads us to our second point. The filling of the church with the Holy Spirit. So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were waiting, probably kind of wondering what was about to happen. 
They're waiting for God's promise. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit took place. It was an amazing supernatural event, all kinds of things happening there. I'm not going to go into all these things about speaking in tongues and all that, so rest, <laughs> rest assured that's not going to be addressed this morning. So it's amazing that it says that all of the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them. And it's also interesting to note, this is sort of a side note, but it's still interesting, that they weren't saying, come, Lord, give us the Holy Spirit. You don't see them asking for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was poured out because it was God's grace and God's design, and the apostles didn't even understand what was going on. So it's a beautiful thing that takes place. It's an amazing thing that takes place where God is moving in power and might and empowering his church. Everyone that was there received the Holy Spirit. No exceptions, because that's the way God has designed it. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit today, as much as they needed the Holy Spirit back then. So we need the Holy Spirit, and that's why in Romans 8, 9, it says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So today, when you are born again, when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you also receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit because you are baptized into the body of Christ. And that's where the Holy Spirit resides. It already resides. It's been there for 2,000 years until you become baptized, which means to become one with. So everybody who's in here this morning who comprises the, the body of Christ has the Holy Spirit because that's what God has done. There's no extra steps, nothing else you have to do. He's already there. Isn't that assuring? That's such a beautiful thing to know that. This is what God has done. And so if you're here this morning and you're seeking to find out more about Jesus and becoming his disciple, please know that when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will experience the spiritual birth and the God, the Holy Spirit, will begin to dwell in you. That's exciting. These are things that you have never heard about probably before. But this is so much more what God has for us and there's much more than that. So we have a, a God who's moving and, and, and is doing things inside of us and causing us to grow in Christ-likeness and, and we're seeing these different things because the Holy Spirit is living within us. We're not always times spirit-filled, but we have the Spirit working in us. And so our confidence is that whatever Jesus commissions the church to do, the Holy Spirit, who both the Father and the Son have given, which we'll see later in the Nicene Creed, then the Holy Spirit's going to empower us to do it. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be fearful because the work of the Holy Spirit is taking place. God, the Holy Spirit. And so every believer in this church has been chosen and called by God. And as such has also been called to be a witness and to go and make disciples because that's how disciples are made. There has to be a witness, no exceptions because we're all part of the body of Christ. We all have the Holy Spirit living within us. I find that just 
so exciting, so wonderful. I'm not alone in this. It's just not up to me to just kind of try a little harder, to have a little bit more faith that I'm generating. No, I turn to the one who has the power. And I ask for that power to be moving in me. I'm not trying to do self-effort here. I'm asking God to move. And he will. Ephesians 5, 15 through 18 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We need to know what God's will is, not my will, not your will, but what God's will is. We need to know that. Do you know that? Because when you know that, now you're getting in line with God's will and you're going to try to understand how to please him and live for him instead of for yourself and worldly things. And so then the question comes up, well, what is God's will? We have to know that. Well, Ephesians 5 verse 1, the verses that lead into these, they tell us what the Lord's will is. It says, be imitators of God, therefore, As dearly loved children, you are loved children. God loves you. There's never a doubt. He's never going to change his mind. As dearly loved children and live a life of love. And live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So just as Jesus lived a life of love and loved us. And as we became his disciples as a result of that. So what this is telling us is that he has commissioned us to go and live a life of love so that others might taste that love and become disciples of Christ. It's the second great commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. But we need help to do that. We need help. So that brings us to our third point. What a spirit-filled church looks like. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Power coming to you, immediately witnessing. That's what happens when you become spirit-filled. You're fulfilling the Great Commission. So the original apostles, who had all failed Jesus when he was being crucified, hadn't received the gift of the Holy Spirit yet. And so they came to grips with the fact, I can't do this. I'm incapable of doing this. I've just proved that before my Lord and my Savior. At his weakest point, I was not there for him. And if we'd been there, we would have done the same thing. That's the way our hearts are. They needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They needed to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's when they get the power. Where God provides the power because it's God the Holy Spirit. And our dependence on the Lord is so clear. And we need to turn to him for this. Because left to ourselves, we're weak. So in disciple-making, we need to have the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit operating and empowering us. 
And so if we're going to be a life-saving station, if we're going to continue to be a life-saving station, we're going to need to continually turn to the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us to help us to do these things. Because the world is so strong. It draws us with temptations and delights, things that we see and want. We begin to look horizontally at the world and desire its treasures instead of looking at heaven and Jesus, the true treasure and desire the things of, of heaven. And so the power of the Holy Spirit is present in this church today. I want to kind of sh- just give you a little bit of an example for just a second. So, you know, when somebody builds a house, or maybe we can even use the church building out there that's being built right now. The contractors come in, the walls go up, roof's on, put in all the wiring, all the electricity stuff that's all ready to go, and it's there. And if we turn on the switch, the light switch, the lights come on and we can see. But if we don't turn on the light switch, it just lies there. It doesn't accomplish that which is being put there to do. And so this is what the Holy Spirit does in us. The light switch, the power comes on and we see what the Lord wants us to do. And we see him and fall more deeply in love with him. And we see that there's a power that's not our own that will indwell us and move us to do the things that he's asking us to do. And so we become bold witnesses when we turn the light on, when we turn to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit who's there all along. He's there right now. So when the Holy Spirit descended and filled the apostles in verse 4, what were they saying? What were the utterances, the specifics? What were they saying when they were filled with the Spirit? We see this in verse 11. They were all speaking of the mighty works of God. salvation, and all these different things. We'll look at a few more in a minute. And so they immediately became witnesses proclaiming all these mighty works of God. This is what happens when you're filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is mentioned nine times in the book of Acts. And every single time it's always resulting in a bold witness for the mighty works of God. And so this is what happens when we're spirit-filled. It says that we're going out, talking about the mighty works of God. We're declaring it to everybody we find. We can't can't hold back this power, this, this greatness of things that have happened to us. We need to tell other people about that. It's impossible for us to hold back. Look what God has done for me. This is incredible. I didn't do anything to earn it. Look at this. I want you to have it too. So the filling of the Spirit is something that Jesus does to empower the church to go and boldly witness and make disciples for him. It wasn't my idea. It's not your idea. It's Jesus' idea. We're carrying out that which he started. 
He's accomplishing the building of the kingdom through us now. And so what has he done? What were some of these mighty works that they were talking about? First of all, he saved us. Now he's given us the Holy Spirit to live within us. He's justified us. He's gone to the cross and suffered in our place for the penalty of the sins that we've committed. He's sanctifying us. We're growing in Christ-likeness as the Spirit works within us till we go on to be with him. He promises that he's going to return, raise our bodies and glorify them. And we'll never ever be able to sin ever again. Then all the witnessing will stop. There'll be no more need for it. Because it's finished. It's been empowered by him from beginning to end. So we're to share these amazing truths, these mighty works that he has done for us. It's incredible. Unfortunately, the church does not remain filled with the Holy Spirit. There are many fillings of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures. Because we wane and then we get excited. We wane some more, we get excited some more. And the reason for that is because we have an enemy who lives within us. And the last thing he wants is for us to be witnessing about Jesus. He wants to kill Jesus. And he wants to kill you. You're not neutral. It's not like, oh, I think I had a witness or maybe I shouldn't be witnessing or, no, it's all about me. No, there's an active enemy and you need to be alert to that enemy. It's active, trying to stop you from going and making disciples. Doesn't want you to know that he's there. Your sin nature is operating in you all the time, the spirit of the enemy, trying to actively stop you from doing this. And so when we understand that, we realize that he who's in us is greater than he who's in the world. And the grace of God is greater than our sin. And so we turn to the one that has the power, who will fill us once again with the Spirit. And so we have to turn to him, and what do we do? We have to pray. We have to say, we need help. Help us, O Lord. We need to go to the communion table here in a few minutes this table of grace and say we're struggling with our sin. We're weak witnesses. We're not boldly witnessing. For whatever reason, there's a myriad of reasons we can find not to witness. And I am that way too. I need this table as much as you do. There are plenty of times when I'm weak and I let opportunities pass by and I'm not ready and I haven't prayed. So we're all together in this, every one of us. So we don't want to be a social club. I get that intellectually. But am I doing any life-saving out there? Am I doing any bold witnessing? And we see in the prayer that Jesus gave us to pray. We already prayed it this morning. We pray it every week. Every single week, 
We pray the most dangerous prayer that you can ever pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will. Not my kingdom. Your kingdom. Your will be done. What Jesus was talking about on the Garden of Gethsemane, right? When he was sweating blood and saying he has to go to the cross. Not my will, but your will be done. I will go to the cross for you, O Lord. And so our mission, the Great Commission, is to go and be faithful witnesses about what Jesus has done for us. It's that simple. How are we doing? Are we acting like a social club? Or are we acting like those who are on fire for Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit? Jesus says, I can make you a stronger life-saving station if you want. So where does the church start in all of this? Where does it start? Well, the first step is the church needs to take time and, and turn to the Lord and ask him to empower us. We need to pray. We need to pray these, these kinds of prayers. We need to ask God, first of all, to give us a love for the lost. Do you love the lost? Or do you want to just kind of, I don't want to be around the lost. They might contaminate me. Very pharisaical thinking, isn't it? Lord, give me a love for the lost. Luke 19.10, Jesus said, Son of man has come to seek and save the lost. I'm one of the lost that got saved. You are one of the lost that got saved because Jesus came into this world that was completely lost without hope unless he came into it. So we need to love the way Jesus loves. Love our neighbor as ourselves. That includes the lost. So are you willing to do that? Are you willing to ask God to give you a love for the lost? And you can do that right here at this communion table in a little bit. Think about it. But I tell you what, if you pray that and you come to this table of grace asking God to do that, be prepared. He loves answering that prayer. <laughs> so after Jesus gives us a love for the lost, really the second step is to go and seek the lost to make new relationships with your neighbors. Some of you that are in the more suburban settings, and others are out in the, maybe a little more in the country, but all of you have neighbors. I would encourage you to have a plan. And each spiritual leader of each home here, hopefully the men, will lead their family in developing a plan on how to reach your neighbors. How do you get to know them? Well, let's say a new family moves into the neighborhood. You can walk over across the street with a plate full of cookies and say, hi, I'm glad you're here. I'm your new neighbor. Glad you're in the neighborhood. What's your name? How many kids do you have? What's the name of your dog? Whatever. It begins. 
So last time I preached this sermon was several years ago. And uh, one of the elders' wives really took this to heart. And so about three weeks after I'd preached the sermon, the elder came to me and he said, Brian, you've just turned my life upside down. I said, what have I done? What's going on? Because I'd forgotten it was three weeks before what had happened, right? <laughs> and he said, my wife has been inviting all of our neighbors over to have dinner with us. <laughs> and I've got so many new friends, I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> so it was beautiful, but it was starting to happen. That's what it looks like. It might be just one person. You know, it starts small. But there's a plan. There's a way in getting in line with the Great Commission. And if you feel nervous about that, then again, go to the table of grace. Begin to pray that God would empower you and give you the, the boldness to go out and, and just meet people who are lost and get to know them and show the love of Christ to them. Hear their struggles. Be there to Supply a meal for them when they need one. Or maybe if there's just somebody sick, be ready to, to pray over the sick. And one of the things I've found over the years is that most people who are lost, they love prayer. I've never had anybody say, I don't want you to pray for me, ever. And so you're there to provide the love of Christ, to live out how you live your life in your home and now you're exporting that into the community around you. And they see that. And you're planting seeds of the gospel of Jesus Christ as you go. Just one little occurrence at a time. Don't have to get all geared up and have some immediate reaction to all that. Just faithfully, day by day, just living out your life, declaring the goodness and the mighty works of God and how it's impacted your life. That's all. And so when that family plan begins to take place, I want to encourage you who are in families, who have children at home, to include them in those prayers. The kids need to see mom and dad and join in on getting people saved. They need to see and have modeled what a bold witness looks like what it means to turn and depend on the power and presence of the living God, to acknowledge the power of the Spirit who's empowering mom and dad. And then they will see the results over time. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So, how do you start praying for them? You pray for their salvation. I just walked across the street, just met Susie and Joe. Now I begin to pray for their salvation. Lord, please save them. Please show me how to be an instrument of your grace and your love in their lives. But please save them. Help me to show how I can befriend them and show them the love of Christ. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 says, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good 
and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. It is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You will experience the pleasure of God which only can be experienced when you're moving in line with his will like this. Saying, not my will, but your will be done, O Lord. I feel nervous, not used to this, but I'm going to trust. I'm going to do it your way, O Lord. The third step is after you've developed a relationship with these neighbors, or maybe some co-workers, you can do the same thing at work. You know, start praying for your co-workers. Do it on, on your car ride to work. Just don't close your eyes while <laughs> you're driving along. But after you've established these relationships and you're loving your neighbors yourself, well, now the next step is ready. You invite them to attend either your small group or come here to church where they hear the gospel, hopefully. And you know what? When you do that, it makes it a lot easier on them because they have a relationship with somebody in the church or somebody in the small group, and you sit beside them, and you explain things that are happening in the service. It's just a much easier experience for them. They'll be more at ease. So may the Lord empower Holy Cross to always be a life-saving station that goes boldly into the world and witnesses in word and deed, being ready so that many unbelievers might hear the good news of Jesus Christ, become saved, and become his disciples. Now I'm going to end with a word of caution. It's exciting to look forward right now as we go out there on Frontier Drive and see that building that's going up. It's exciting to go to see the progress on that and think about the things that are going in it and how wonderful a building it's gonna be. We can really look forward to that. And we should. You know what I'm about to say, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. But my Holy Cross never become a social club and lose sight of its great commission. Amen? Glory to God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this church. Thank you for all the wonderful saints that are here. Thank you for the future and the hope that you have provided for them. And I pray that you would continue to move in our midst, O oh Lord, through the power of your spirit, to grow us in Christ's likeness, to enable us to be the witnesses that you want us to be, to be boldly declaring the wonders of your mighty works. In Christ's name we pray, amen.